would like to take a moment to invite all you cannabis professionals out there to take part in our 2020 Cannabis Industry Outlook Survey. Go to newfrontierdata.com backslash cannabis outlook. For a limited time, we are offering one month free to our Cannabite to thank you for lending us your expertise. Again, go to newfrontierdata.com backslash cannabis outlook. Survey closes Friday, September 18th. Thank you. Welcome back to Canna Week, brought to you by New Frontier Data, where we deliver the week's top headlines in cannabis and hear experts weigh in on the impacts these stories are having on the industry. I'm your host, Heather Wickline. Our first guest is a veteran policy advisor and communication manager at the European level. She has advised interest in the oil and gas sector and led the European Association of Independent Wine Growers. Since early 2019, she has led European Industrial Hemp Association efforts to propose reform affecting hemp in the EU's common agriculture policy. Please welcome the Managing Director of EIHA, Lorenzo Romanese. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to be here with you. And our next guest needs no introduction at this point because he's my regular. He's a pioneering thought leader in the cannabis industry and the fearless leader of our research team here at New Frontier Data. Please welcome back Chief Knowledge Officer, John Kagia. I'm delighted to be back, Heather. Thank you for having us. Always a pleasure. Well, we have a lot to cover, so we're going to dive right in. Today, we're actually only covering one article, but it has major ramifications, so we're going to just um, discuss this one today. Leaf Report published an article, Did the EU Just Decimate Its Legal CBD Industry? So the EU CBD market has been considered an overall success story in the global hemp industry, uh, with around $8.3 billion in revenue to date. The cultivation and sale of CBD has been a boon for farmers, small business owners, and investors alike. All that being said, there's been rumblings about the European Commission's possible rescheduling of CBD to a narcotic. So, Lorenza, what is your opinion as far as there, has there been any ind- indication as to why this is being labeled CBD, like labeling CBD as a narcotic? So, the information that you got are correct. Uh, just before the summer holidays was uh, the middle of July, we indeed received this uh, notification coming from the European Commission. Um, which is one of, of, the, of the organs of the European Union. So not the one elected, but the one that writes the law. So the technocratic power of Europe. So um, this is not new. I mean, it's new because they release it in July, but um, the European Commission addressed this question, this legal question to their legal services back in March last year already. So uh, there is a legal services that is sitting in Luxembourg, not in Brussels and European Commission can use this legal department to ask law when they have a doubt of compliance between international treaties and European treaties or national law. So um, they address this question to their legal services and after more than one year, they finally came back with this preliminary conclusion. Why it happened? If uh, So there are some reasons that can be can be read by interpreting the present and the context of Europe. And there are other reasons that lines within the, um, within the alignment of these different treaties. So the main reason why the commission asked this question is CBD and hemp extract are a drug, are a narcotic or are a food or novel food. Mm-hmm. Um, simply because uh, um, Europe is one of the signatures of the United Nations 
single convention of 1961. Under these big international treaties, we have 180 member states. Among them, there is as well US. Uh, so everybody should be sitting on the same level and play with the same rules. However, in Europe, we are experiencing an hard or very strong interpretation of the meaning of the single convention. Please, please let me underline that this convention was written in 1961. We are in 2020. Yeah. Um, so this, uh, in, these, uh, in these treaties, you can, uh, you can read that the cannabis plant and is not distinguished between low context of THC and high content of THC. Even if, uh, uh, even from the preamble of the single convention, if you read the preamble of the single convention, it's clearly stated that the scope of the aim of this treaty is to control the drugs as a, as a medicine and drugs as psychotropic substances. And if you see at hemp, because we do, hemp does not contain high level of THC, it cannot be considered neither a medicine because CBD does not cure any treat any illness, but at the other side cannot be considered as a drug, as a psychotropic principle, because the only psychotropic principle that there is in the cannabis flower is the THC, and there is no THC in in hemp. So this is our interpretation, but of course it's not uh, in line with the European Commission interpretation because according to the preliminary conclusion, which are not legally binding for the time being, so now we have as an industry two months to react to European Commission saying stating our our opinion and according to to their opinion hemp um, no hemp extract and um, CBD should be considered narcotic because even if they are able to read the article I cannot remember which is the article uh, 28 54 40 I cannot remember where is written um, cannabis is considered a drug um, not the leaves or cannabis, but only the fruiting tops. And they interpreted this fruiting top by extracting the raisin of the fruiting top containing CBD. By this method, they, they, they are reading in a very restrictive way the interpretation and they are, they are assuming that uh, regardless the context of THC within the plant, it has to be considered a narcotic. Um, this, if the preliminary conclusion will be confirmed in a few weeks, it will be simply mean the end of the European industrial hemp sector. No leaves, no flower, no industry. Wow. I mean, John, we've seen something similar with the US of like the scheduling of marijuana or cannabis, you know, being on the level of heroin, but not to this level of, you know, we've at least had a lot of leeway in hemp. What are your thoughts on it for um, European? So uh, one, just echoing what uh, Lorenzo said, you know, the, the impact and implications of this initial preliminary proposal cannot be overstated uh, for not just what they're going to mean for the European market, uh, but as you said in your intro, Heather, Europe has been such a an important uh, leading market in terms of the development of its industrial uh, hemp sector um, that this is going to have reverberations on a global scale. Second, um, the the conservative view, the very uh, restrictive view that is being adopted here by by uh, the EC, um, I think is perhaps problematic for two reasons. One, uh, it's being rooted 
on uh, a law that was written in 1961. And if we think about just how much science has advanced our understanding of cannabis, of cannabinoids, and of the potential applications, both industrial and medicinal or therapeutic for, for cannabis. Uh, the fact that um, uh, such a black and white perspective is being taken um, uh, to this law uh, uh, from a time when our regulations had very, very little insight into, into truly what the nuances were uh, in, the, in the science of cannabis, um, I think is, is concerning for those who have devoted so much time to better understand um, uh, the diversity and richness of cannabis and all of its applications. Um, second, you know, this is, you know, part of perhaps one of the things that's really unique about um, the, the hemp sector or the, the broader cannabis writ large sector as an emerging um, aspect of our economy is even at a time when we're seeing all of these extraordinary uh, uh, and extraordinarily high potential applications uh, for the plant and all of its derivatives, um, uh, there's still some really fundamental issues on the regulatory side that needs to be addressed. And this is a perhaps perfect example of how, um, even as the industry is gaining phenomenal momentum, um, a, a regulatory policy decision that's being made from our perspective in a very bureaucratic way uh, can lead to huge uh, and, and very, very consequential disruptions uh, to the industry. And so maybe just as a quick aside there, um, uh, it really underscores the importance for industry stakeholders to continue both their vigilance and their advocacy to ensure that regulators both understand um, uh, the, the industry and its, indus and, and its applications, uh, and two, to ensure that you know, this decision-making isn't being done by, by, uh, in a very uninformed way uh, or in a way that results in policies that are so rigid that, that they um, stifle the capitalization and industrialization of the sector. I'd be really interested in hearing you know, Lorenzo's perspective on how the industry is going to respond and, and what the outlook is like for um, the potential uh, final ruling that the EC is going to make. Um, but one of the things that I think actually might be an unintended outcome of all of this is there was already some murmuring, some debate about uh, having cannabis continue to be maintained uh, uh, under its classification within the single convention. Uh, the scale of the disruption that this is going to cause, I actually think ends up creating a very strong case for uh, uh, revisiting the single convention or at least revisiting where cannabis sits within the single convention, forcing a much more uh, uh, robust reassessment, not just on what this means for CBD, but more broadly for where cannabis fits within our global society. Countries like Canada and the US, I think have been taken a much more liberal view on how they're interpreting their obligations under the single convention um, uh, within uh, uh, in the way they they're governing uh, uh, cannabinoids in their economies. Uh, but this really, I think, raises global debate because of the importance of the European market uh, uh, within this emerging global cannabinoid economy. Yeah, I would like to react on what you on what you said, just the last sentence, when you said that uh, Canada and US took a liberative approach during the debate. That's not what we know. 
I mean, the information that we got from UN is that especially US is sticking to a very thick position when it comes to the scheduling of THC. On the contrary, I fully agree with you. When you are at home, you do whatever you want with hemp, but when you are in the venue of discussion, I'm not saying that my continent is the brave one, huh? because we never speak out loud, absolutely not. But um, even if your conduct is very good and uh, you are increasing the use of hemp and the application and the manufacture and the supply chain, um, According to our information, there are few countries, uh, not only US, but as well Russia, Nigeria, Mexico, that in the last uh, exchange, informal exchange during the summer, they took again a kind of strict position when it comes to the decision of the scheduling THC. If you think that CBD was invented, it was discovered in 1964, I mean, not even when the, con the, the convention was written. So uh, we should go under a complete revise of this treaty, but there is 180 member states to, to agree on it. And there is no uh, an easy consensus to find. Probably we should completely abandon this treaty and uh, this would be a or completely revise it will be extremely hard. They are not even able to the schedule THC from the schedule one to the schedule two. Imagine if they are able to reinvent the, the entire treaty. So I would love to have a, a brand new treaty 2020 because I'm sure that the official would have taken into account the most recent study instead of the one that they took in 1961. But I'm not seeing it as a possibility, at least in the forthcoming month. And just to clarify the point that I was making, it actually was not that the, the um, US and Canada uh, or other countries that have liberalized domestically their policies are advancing this, um, that change on a global basis. Um, it, it is actually creating this really um, uh, almost schizophrenia where, um, you know, one, you have public opinion very, very broadly supporting CBD legalization, increasingly THC legalization, marijuana legalization. Um, and uh, particularly in North America, those numbers are now, you know, a, a strong majority. Second, you see uh, domestic policy reflecting increasingly that public opinion where there's the activation of these multi-billion dollar domestic markets. Uh, but what you haven't yet seen is at this national level, these, these countries adopting the stance where they will say, um, not only have we embraced these markets uh, domestically and, and believe that there's utility and value in, in uh, changing our regulations to serve our local markets, but we also think that there's uh, cause to champion this as a global issue. Um, so in the U.S., you see this kind of schizophrenia where, um, you know, even as uh, the U.S. markets are on track to generate nearly $20 billion in revenue uh, this year, um, you are not yet seeing any advocacy for um, a more substantive global reform of the framework that has so constricted the rest of the world in the development of the cannabis uh, economies. I agree. Yeah, indeed. One thing I wanted to touch on in the article, we um, both EIHA and New Frontier were cited and quoted quite a bit. And I know uh, one of our analysts, Dr. Molly McCann, had alluded to maybe the EU may be responding to pressure from pharmaceutical companies who see the plant-derived CBD as a threat to their markets. And I know I saw also um, Catherine White, the vice president of EIHA, had even kind of jumped on that as well and said that, you know, hemp products have been consumed for centuries in the Europe in Europe, and uh, authorizing synthetic extracts is nonsense. And it contends because the chemical end product is essentially the same. 
yet farmers and food business operators um, would be deprived of the market opportunities for CBDs. Do you believe that's that the pharmaceutical companies or industry is putting pressure on this? It's a tricky question. Um, it is, but I, I feel like it was, I mean, it was brought up twice and it, it was kind of hit home in a little bit, a couple of places. So actually, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know because I haven't seen any lobbyists or I never met one of the lobbyists of the pharma industry that there are plenty here in Brussels, but they never show up physically with me. So I cannot say I met them and the answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, what I can see is uh, um, whenever you want to use hemp, you are affecting some business. If I want to create paper coming from hemp, the traditional paper industry cutting trees are not happy with me. If mm -hmm. I want to build with hemp, the Crete uh, market is not happy. If I want to, to produce cosmetics or food, there are other interests that are, that are affected. I mean, it's a matter of changing the history. So it's a matter of battling a little bit. And I'm sure that hemp is here to stay and we will find our, uh, our right place in, in, in Europe uh, for the time being, especially because we are in line with all the commission uh, policies that have been published, the Green Deal, the sustainable policy, the biodiversity. Uh, regulation, etc. So we are in line of what uh, Europe is asking. What I can certainly say to you is that a role in this decision has been played by member states. Member states in Europe have big power when it comes to protect the human health because there is a principle in Europe that there are some fields uh, where member states are uh, 100% autonomous on what they are doing. And this is the case, the case of health and consumer protection. So we are seeing in Europe, like I'm sure in US, in Canada and everywhere in the world, a popping up of hemp products. Mm -hmm. Some of them are well manufactured. Some of them are a little bit less because by being an Eldorado, is one of the agricultural crops that has experienced the most highest increase in the last 10 years. So there is a lot of newcomers into the market. And when you are new into the market, you commit mistake. This is normal. So the quality of the product in Europe is shaking a little bit because of new people coming into the market that they are not very aware of extraction or of the legal obligation of the correct label that they have to state, etc. And this proliferation of new actor has a double consequence. So a little decrease of the quality of the product, but especially it's, um, it's, um, it's the fact that we have a lot of CBD and CBD derived product everywhere in Europe because we started with CBD oil. And now if you walk in Europe, you can say candle made with CBD, t-shirt infused by CBD. So we are kind of exaggerate because CBD is kind of everywhere and member state do not like this proliferation, seems to be uncontrolled proliferation of CBD-derived product. And we don't have to forget that at the end, civil servant or even ministries are human beings. So whenever you don't know something, you, you are not sure if it's correct or not correct, legal, not legal, safe, not safe, the attitude is to close yourself and avoid the discussion and, and changing. So I, I simply believe that member states are acting this way. So uh, first of all, hemp was considered traditional food in Europe. We received a letter back in 1997 from commission state, stating hemp flour and hemp extract 
are not novel food, so are traditional food. Then back in January 2019, they suddenly decided it is novel food. And now even worse, it could be a narcotic. So this is the perfect way to stop the evolution and the increasing of, of and the flourishing of this market. Um, now to get back to your question, I don't know who is behind. The only thing that I know is that the member state are afraid, are not feeling comfortable, so they are closing up the opportunities. But then if there is other and exterior inter interferences, I don't know. John, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I would echo that. You know, I think there's the speed with which the CBD market specifically, um, or the cannabinoid market more broadly has evolved, um, has caught everyone flat-footed. I, I don't think anyone would have thought that um, you know, in Europe, you'd be talking about an $8 billion industry, potentially in a, a in, in North America, you'd be talking an industry twice that size. And this is virtually happening, has virtually happened overnight. So, you know, the, 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 the past five years have seen not just the, the emergence of the um, um, CBD infused market, uh, but the emergence of this market at a scale. Um, when, when you start talking about the concept of CBD everywhere, where it's appearing in pet foods and t-shirts and candles and cornflakes and, you know, the, the, um, it is not surprising that regulators would look around and say, hang on, time out. What is this and where does it come from? And, um, and so when, when, you, when you overlay the speed with which it has proliferated, um, it's really interesting to us, for example, that two thirds of Europeans have now had a conversation about CBD and broadly speaking, they have a positive per perception. So this has kind of really, even though not the, the numbers of consumers are far lower, um, it's really kind of penetrated the public uh, psyche, you know, the, the cultural zeitgeist. People are talking about it, they have a positive perspective on it, and they think it might be beneficial to their life and, and wellness. So it is not surprising in this context of a market that's exploding, that's appearing in virtually every consumer product context that you can think about, um, and has done so at the speed at which CBD has emerged, that more conservative, both policymakers and regulators will say, all right, we need to pump the brakes here just to make sure we have, we have a bead on, on what all of this is. Um, and to, to Lorenzo's point about the product quality issues, um, you know, the, the fact that the regulations have been dynamic at best in terms of what the standards are for including uh, CBD, hemp-derived hemp oils and extracts uh, into products, that the fact that, you know, you haven't really had um, a rigid set of codified rules on what those baseline metrics are has meant that you end up seeing the kind of variability that um, can raise concerns. So, for example, one of the things that we're seeing in products globally is you know a product will say that will have x amount of cbd but the actual numbers will be either low to low to none um, it's not a large percentage of products but uh, it certainly raises the questions and concerns about you know are consumers getting what they uh, are paying for um, with these products and does the lack of regulation uh, limit that it doesn't take a lot of products to fail to meet that standard in an environment that's moving this quickly for regulators, again, to, to try and be a little more conservative, to try and try and um, slow things down a bit. I, I think it's unfortunate because um, with a proposal as drastic as what the EC has suggested here, which is that this becomes a schedule one and you end up with a synthetic only environment, um, you know, the, the, that takes 
a hugely dynamic and very, very fast growth market back down to zero. Um, that, that is a scale of disruption that candidly, I don't think we've seen in an emerging market anywhere on the planet in certainly my, my time as an analyst where uh, you, you, you've seen regulators try and, try and um, with one fell swoop, completely dismantle a very strong growth market. Um, but you know, one, one can understand some of the reservations that might be borne by the speed at which the market is growing. Um, it's just hard to see how this decision to, to completely uh, dismantle the market um, is, is the most elegant way of addressing what we think are fair concerns, uh, but, but one which fall within the context of a, of a product um, that clearly has um, uh, a lot of both human and animal uh, applications. Uh, where the science is affirmative that it, it does have kind of value for health and wellness, and three, which consumers are clearly finding a lot of value based on their spending on these products. Right. Well, we are almost out of time. So, Lorenza, I'd love to wrap it up to hear how EIHA intends to respond to all this. Yeah, so um, I guess since the next morning, because we have not slept so much that night, uh, when the preliminary conclusion were out, we established some action in Brussels. First of all, we alert the European Parliament. The European Parliament is the elected body of Europe. And we ask the European Parliament to finally play a role in this field, in this, uh, in this, um, in this topic, and especially to address their concern directly to the European Commission. Um, we were able to write a common position with other stakeholders in Brussels. Um, different organizations, for instance, uh, the cosmetics, natural cosmetics sector, the food supplement and the farmers, and to co-write all together a letter to be addressed to Commissioner Kyriakides. Uh, of course, we address all our legal opinion, legal statement uh, uh, to, the, you know, to the Digisante, who is the ministry responsible for this decision. And we finalize, uh, and we're going to publish it uh, on Thursday, a common position uh, about the interpretation of the single convention. Because we get back to question one from where everything came from. It is apparently, it is a problem of interpretation and alignment with the international treaty. So um, we wrote our opinion and our interpretation about the single convention of 1961. And we have been asking around the world to co-sign this paper with us. And I can tell you, even if it will be published on Thursday, that we collect 13 signatures coming from China to Mongolia to South America and to US, Canada. So we will present a common position paper. The voice, the, the, the industrial hemp sector will speak with one voice when it comes to single convention to show the way in which they should behave as well. I mean, the 180 member states, they should speak together and come up with a solution because the vote has been postponed three times already. And so all this action, of course, uh, um, we inform the press and we try to increase the pressure on the European Union institution by speaking out loud uh, using the press and our uh, media partner uh, to support and to spread our press release. Of course, the, senior, the, the preliminary conclusion were released at the middle of, uh, of July. So it was a tough period for us to find the MEPs ready to sign. 
but um, fortunately we have a lot of signature for the time being and and then we were able as well to have finally a, pers a personal meeting with Mrs. Kiriakides, the Commissioner of Health, because according to my interpretation, CBD by being a traditional food, a novel food and then narcotic, it has to be with, it has to deal with politics, politics a little at least a little bit. So uh, that's why we're very keen to meet the commissioner. She's the expression of the political, of the political, um, the political power of uh, whole health-related topics in Brussels. And then I'm flying to Poland tomorrow because I'm attending one economic forum, and there should be some commissioner attending. And I really hope to meet them and to try to discuss. Because when you speak, what is hemp is, and when you take the time to explain, and all the the perfect uh, environmental support that we can bring to this world, we can, uh, people listen to you. So the problem is that we have to reach these people that at the end decide, and it's not so easy, especially in Corona time. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it sounds like you have amazing support and we wish you luck and we'll be all waiting to see what happens. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye, John? Uh, maybe just a couple of things. One, anyone who is paying attention to or invested in uh, the outcomes of the global cannabinoid industry, both in the THC and CBD side, should be following the developments in Europe very, very closely. Um, you know, this is the type of reg uh, regulatory rulemaking um, that can have, uh, uh, that could potentially have hugely consequential implications, not just for the European community, uh, but for the emergence of the global cannabis industry. And, and I think really important to understand and follow closely um, both how this decision is evolving, but also how the stakeholders are mobilizing uh, to, to uh, champion the cause. Two, for stakeholders in Europe particularly, if ever there was a time uh, to, to mobilize in, in, in kind of in advocacy of this industry, uh, now is the time and the clock is ticking. Uh, as Lorenza said, you know, you had two month window since the initial preliminary proposal. Uh, and so this is not going to drag on uh, for much longer. And so, uh, the window in which to galvanize, to mobilize, and to, to champion the cause uh, is is narrow and close, and you know the time is now to do it. And then third, um, you know, for at a time when it is clear that there's a tension between hewing to the um, legacy regulations, legacy laws that define the, the the way cannabis is governed in our society, and given the scale of both health, environmental, uh, and economic challenges that we now face as a global society. Um, a really important time to, to educate, educate those who are engaged and educate those who may not be paying attention on where hemp specifically um, can sit as a catalyst for uh, better human and animal health, for better environmental solutions, and for economic growth. Uh, because, you know, I think part of what is uh, influencing some of the politics, as Lauren's in, uh, intimated, um, is just a lack of understanding of the potential impact that hemp can have. And, you know, but when we say that we think hemp is arguably the most versatile crop in our agricultural economy, that, that's not hyperbole. There's a reason why it is being used for everything from bioplastics to building materials to, to uh, nutraceuticals. To supercapacitors and across all of those applications, yes, they're going to be hugely disruptive to the existing uh, um, uh, markets, but um, there's also enormous potential for growth there. And so we would just urge um, 
stakeholders to, to focus on education because education is going to be key in helping the global community understand uh, the range of potential uh, and the range of opportunity uh, that hemp could uh, could pretend for both growth in the EU but growth globally uh, writ large. Thank you. Lorenza, anything to add? Any final thoughts for our listeners? So two small points from my side. I fully agree with you, John. I mean, we we have in our hands a better future. And I deeply believe that hemp can play a key role within the next farming model that we have to propose, because I hope that we all agree that the way in which we farm is not sustainable. <laughs> so we should slightly change it. And the way, and, and then we have another major pillar, which is a decarbonization of the manufacturing sector as well. We have to tackle this issue. And there is the lack of, uh, of food in the rest of the world. So there is a lot to do. And we, we, we as AIA, we welcome the European Green Deal that was released um, with the presidencies of Mr. Vardelein and the president of the European Commission. We welcome this initiative. And that's why on the 9th of September, we will publish HEMP, the real Green Deal, um, because we mirror all the policies that the Commission produce and to show that hemp is necessary in any single of these policies, policy we can contribute in a, in a fair and a clear manner. Second point is in order to, what I believe is that education is a key stone. You are right, John, but it takes time. Something else that could be, um, that could be in uh, our in our favor could be scientific based replies, and because that seems that member states have some concerns and some doubts about what CBD is, what are the other cannabinoids, we as an association decided to put the money together, and we collected four million of euro that we will invest in toxicological studies, both for CBD, but without neglecting THC, because we have THC as one of the cannabinoids, even if it's very little, we have to define which is the safety level for THC residues in food. So these two big, um, big projects will last two years, of course, because toxicological studies, I cannot squeeze the time, uh, but it will be a major, a major step forward for the European industry because we will, we will provide a scientific reply to member state and to commission. Now the, ga the, the game is what we're going to do in the meantime. But another uh, last, uh, last point that I want to push forward is that in the meantime, we thought that could be quite wise from our side to develop some self-regulatory standards coming from the industry. So uh, to secure the market, to make sure that what they buy, what the consumers buy is in the product that they are consuming, we're going to write some basic standards and we hope that uh, all the all the industry and all our companies, of course, our member, yes, but I, I have only 300 members in Europe. There are much more companies, but we hope that everybody will follow these standards. It will be a self-regulatory approach, of course, nothing is imposed, but we believe that it could be a strong signal to send to member state and to commission in this tricky period. Right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you both for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners. Please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast and you can find this new story and more on New Frontier Data's Cannabis Insights Daily. 
I am your host, Heather Wickline, and I will see you next time. New Frontier Data provides this podcast for entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated in this podcast should be taken as legal or financial advice. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the company. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by New Frontier Data employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of the company or any of its officials. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our legal department.